greetings. We're still in quarantine. Yay. I mean, boo. And we still have uh, our podcast, so that's awesome that we can do a Zoom. And we have a very special guest today, Ron Stevens from onstl.com and a multiple variety of things that he's involved in. We're going to talk to Ron Stevens coming up in a second. Then we'll talk about Jerry Seinfeld's 23 Hours to Kill. Then we'll kind of talk about Scoob. Then a little bit about Clementine. Then Netflix's The Wrong Missy. And then the new Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt movie, Magic for Humans. Ron saw Bombshell. Then we'll talk about DVD and streaming. HBO has all the Jaws on. Then we'll remember the dead, including the happy days of Gary Marshall and all the people that passed away this week. Then we'll talk about Cinema St. Louis and our friend Brian McKenna. Hi, Ron. Hello, Lynn. Hello, Carl. Ron, how are you? We haven't, we haven't seen you in a while. Uh, good. That means I'm doing well. If you haven't seen me... <laughs> I'm hiding out. You know, interestingly, um, I'm able to go into the office because no one else is. So, and the fountain's closed. My office is above the fountain on Locust. So I can go in that building and I still stay home. I kind of like this. I think, I, I think this is working for me. I might be the only one. You have a studio in your home too. Yes, I do. So that makes it easier. Yeah. And, you, and you can talk to your clients that, and you've been doing comedy pieces with Joy as well that's to keep the sanity you know <laughs> i it uh I just, I just need something like that to do most of the work uh you know the paying work is cut back for obvious reasons uh, and a few other clients have come along for the same reason though so i picked up a few but i've lost most of them as most of us have and uh but since i'm retired really i, I <laughs> that's fine with me that that's i think why i like this because I retired five years ago and haven't really slowed down. In fact, I've never worked harder since retirement, but uh, now I'm kind of forced to stay home and slow down and I'm finding, hey, this, this isn't so bad. Joy, another world, another person. She's, she's not here now. She's always out. She's always out running around. She's developing buildings, planning for the reopening of the Fountain on Locust. And when I can squeeze her in with doing this video, she's, she's working with those. So when do you think the Fountain's gonna reopen? Very good question. Um, probably later than most of the restaurants in St. Louis, because we honestly believe the time isn't right yet. But the fountain is a little different also. Yeah, I keep that in mind. A lot of restaurants are neighborhood restaurants, so they can depend on uh, the business they can get uh, from people just walking a few blocks to go there or driving less than a mile to go there. The fountain on Locust depends heavily on sporting events, Concert events, special events, things of that nature. Theater. All of those have been shut down. So yeah, Shifitz and uh, the Fox and Powell Hall yeah. and yeah, yours the, is a destination place, and the yeah. other destinations that are around you that you guys feed off of each other. Since they're not open, it doesn't make sense for you to reopen. Exactly. However, the few restaurants were Pappy's open and then close and I think they're opening again and everybody's experimenting with it and what's nice is the restaurant industry in St. Louis is very tight so all the owners talk and they, right. and they compare notes and there are a lot of uh, sessions like this on Zoom where they get together and compare notes and ideas and uh, from, from a lot of those meetings uh, Joy has developed some good ideas to expand the fountain and make it possible to uh, maintain the number of tables available by expanding the space 
So that's, that's a nobody knows about that yet. Ah, we won't yeah. tell anybody. If, Carl, Carl, you know what that means. That means less space for me upstairs. Yes, it does. Hey, we're <laughs> going to have a balcony view. Yeah, Ron, move over. We're putting a table here. Yeah, actually, I, I, I really pushed for that balcony view for many years, and now it's going to be real. When you go into the fountain and you look over the bar when you first walk in, those windows up there, now you'll be able to sit up at those windows. And really? Look down. Yes. That so, would be fun, but not for you. June. We'll probably open in June. June? Okay. Well, that's, June's only three weeks. Or no, June's only two weeks. Well, maybe we'll make it three or four weeks, maybe closer to the end of June. Not that, not that it isn't ready. It's just that we don't think that, uh, we, it's, uh, I'm, I, you know, I, it doesn't take much of a stretch of the imagination to realize how much goes into reopening a restaurant. All the inventory you had when you closed and you knew you were going to be closed for several months is gone. You don't you know, you can freeze some things, but when you're serving basically fresh food dishes, not much gets frozen. So all that food's gone. And with ice cream, how long can you keep ice cream before it's really not the same ice cream? So a lot of that's gone. So reordering all that is expensive. And there, there is no PPP loan that will help you with that. That those are designed to get people off of unemployment, not to buy your inventory. So a lot of, a lot of thinking has to go into it. Well, say food outreach is right down the street. So I bet you guys just, uh, Gave them some stuff. <laughs> well, another thing too is suppliers. They've got to reboot everything. They've got to right. get up to speed. Uh, one of the, the things I talked about, because uh, I cover O'Fallon, Illinois for the Belvonese Democrat and uh, a lot of the business owners, they had trouble getting flour. They had trouble getting just regular provisions to keep themselves in business and the one Katie B's is an organic bakery and cafe and she had to go to like 14 different suppliers to get things and it just wasn't cost effective. And so they shut down for a while, but then they just kind of did family meals, um, you know, like shepherd's pie, chicken pot pie, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But I know some of, some of the restaurants were closed, then they opened yeah. just recently. And then some that opened, decided this isn't working and so they closed right so it has to be a very fluid thing like that and and when you're a small one or two location a business it makes it a lot easier you know i mean if, if you're a uh applebee's you 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 know you might close some branches and not others or think whoa do we just change our hours it's, it's a huge corporate decision but with a small business and the fountain on locust certainly qualifies as a small business yeah. It, uh, it, it's possible to, to uh, be more fluid with those decisions, which is important, but also important is communicating with the uh, community and, and, your, and your customers. Help, let them help you find the way. I'm going to tell you guys a story that uh, no one knows this, um, except the people who are involved with it, and it just touches my heart. When, when Joy first decided, um, when everyone closed, and she was one of the first, she, I think she closed two days before it was required that the restaurants close because she, it was obvious she didn't want to endanger her staff or anyone for that matter, and her health, of course. Um, she uh, tried curbside for about a week. And within a few days of trying it, some of her customers actually called and said, what can we do to help? Do you need any money? Can we donate? Where can we donate? And Joy came to me and said, you know, I don't know what to do with that. I said, well, you know, I can set up a GoFundMe, but I don't, 
think you should promote it. It should just be there. If someone says that, let them donate. Just tell them well, you can go there. Yeah, well, you can have a private one. Yeah, it's basically what it is. It, it raised $1,000 in a very short time, which is not a lot of money, but a lot of people, you know, putting in 25 here, 100 there. And all, all of them, you know, and I put it right under you. People have asked if there's a place to go and go here. This will go 100% to those on our staff who need it. Now, this is the good part about the story. Nobody on our staff wants it. They said, thanks, to we're fine. So it's still sitting there. I mean, so I let everybody know, you know, we may, we may not use it. So I may be giving it back to you. But right now, it's just going to sit there because, again, the, it needs to be fluid. We don't know what's, what's around the corner. And your manager's about to retire. So what's Barb going to do? Barb, well, Barb's staying on. She is retiring as general manager. Okay. And Andrew Harris is now our new general manager. Andrew served uh, two uh, tours of combat in Afghanistan. And he, uh, he has that military mind. And boy, is it coming in handy right now. The guy gets kicked in and we're doing, uh, doing great stuff, getting ready for the next round. Well, that's good because, yeah, it's a new normal. And nobody really knows how to do it or it's just. Yeah, right. yeah. And I think people with patios, but you're limited to the patio. Yeah. But I think yeah. patios are going to be okay because they say outside's better. Yes, makes sense. So. Feed it in the garage. <laughs> well, <I'm laughs> we have, we do have room on the front sidewalk, but that's that Southern sky and the sun beats down on that. And it's horrible. So we're just not going to go with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear. I'm so happy. Well, one of these days we'll be back in yes. the studio yes. and, uh, and we'll be eating again at the fountain. And the studio will be there. I, I didn't let him touch that part. That will be. <laughs> well, so good. Rob, yes. have you seen any movies at all since you've been home? Well, I, I, uh, I did see, uh, last night I saw Jerry Seinfeld's special. I know that's on your list to talk about today. I watched that as well. Oh, yeah. What did you really, think? Really, really. Or is it, you want to do this in uh, your own? Oh, order? no, we can, we can talk about that. We can talk about uh, Jerry Seinfeld's 23 Hours to, to Kill. It's his first new special in a long time because the last special he did was, I'm telling you this for the last time, which was all, it was the greatest hits, and he said he's going to retire all those. This is brand new special. It's kind of in two halves. The first half is observational stuff that he's been doing forever. And then the second half is something that Jerry's never done before, which is about his own life. Personal. And he just poured it out there. He said, I, I'm, I'm 65 I'm years old. I've been married uh, a long eight time. Years or 19 years. Just yeah, right down the list. Three kids, an 18 year old. Yeah. Yeah. So well, his, his wife. I he was. He, he, he's always channeled uh, George Carlin with his observational humor. Without but being dirty. Now, yeah, but not, yes, but now he's doing it kinetically. Have you noticed how much more animation there was? In it, it, he was, he's a lot more animated and he, he's not he, as filthy as Carlin no. was, but he, oh, I mean, he's a little more edgier than he was before because he's an old man. He doesn't care anymore. He's my age and frozen um, or am I frozen? You, you got frozen, frozen for a second. I took over. You're all right. You're frozen. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld came to St. Okay. Louis. So you, the last I heard was he was a little more something. He, he's a little more, he's a little more mobile and he's a little more edgy than he was because J Jerry, like early Seinfeld stuff, he's, he's, it's all observational. He didn't want to upset anyone. 
and he did he wasn't controversial and he wasn't edgy this he he he's not like cursing outright but he's uh a little a gd here a shit there nothing nothing uh nothing too crazy but yeah. more edgy from seinfeld well he came to st yeah. louis in 1984 with a group of comedians and larry bud melman from the letterman show that was, was the draw and it was at westport and i was pregnant with tim and we went it was a huge thunderstorm pouring sheets of rain went to westport the playhouse at westport and it was jerry seinfeld paula poundstone uh there was a will somebody i keep forgetting his name and his brother was on uh general hospital at the time and then larry budd introduced the comedians as clueless as larry budd was and this was when seinfeld 1984 was wearing a suit and he talked about his routine was about the socks um, that that leave the washer that leave the dryer that escape from the dryer that it's a law that all Jewish parents in New York moved to Florida and he talked about the the 800 pound guy losing like you know 200 pounds and that it, that was his shtick back then so 1984 and then uh couple years ago his last and then my kids just love Seinfeld they love they would sit there and quote they could quote every episode I have this theory that in the 2000s girls moved to New York because of sex in the city and guys moved to New York because of Seinfeld mm -hmm. not friends well maybe friends yeah <laughs> but I think there was a like, influx there was an influx yeah their apartment would be there was an influx of, of a young folk moving yeah, to the big true. city after, you know, it all cleaned up because of Disney. But uh, a couple years ago, that last Netflix special that you were talking about in 2017, that was when it was taped. And my, my uh, nephew was having his bachelor party in New York. My youngest son lives in Brooklyn. And somehow they found out about a website where you could... Uh, apply for tickets to the Jerry Seinfeld special to be in the audience and they somehow magically two of them got picked and they could each bring a guest so all four of them got to go to the Jerry Seinfeld taping of that special and uh, they were so excited and then uh, Paul Reiser was behind them <laughs> oh wow <laughs> but so was Paul Reiser on that tour too then? Well, he just no, he just was in the audience. Oh, okay. I was yes. talking about in 1984 because I'm still trying oh, to find no, out. Oh, no, it was it was um it was Paula Poundstone, Jerry Seinfeld, Jerry was the headliner. Yes. And Larry Budd, and then it was uh, a oh. guy named Will, his brother Schreiner. 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 Well, uh, Carl, when you mentioned that he is, uh, you know, you distinguished the second half from the first. I wasn't really thinking about that until you said that. And it's, it is very true. It, it was it's very seamless, though. It's not like he, he says, hey, all right, we're going to do this now. Yeah. It, well, he, he did. It in. He did. But but there was a demarcation there. Of mm -hmm. sort, you know, because there was a little bit of now we're going to talk about something Me. else. Yeah, right. And and like I said, he was very, very forward with it, you know, uh, uh, bring you up to date. I've been married so many years, blah, 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 blah. 
1989, Joy and I had the pleasure of interviewing Jerry uh, in New York. And that was when I was first aware, even though I've seen him on stage, aware of how reserved he was and how protective he was of his private life. Because here we are live on the air interviewing him. And we interviewed a lot of comedians back then. And, and you could ask them about their personal life. Here's how Jerry did the interview. He was on the microphone and he closed his eyes like this. And he has kept his eyes closed the whole time. And if you wandered off his material, you could see his uneasiness. He wanted you to feed him what he needed to do his jokes. And if you wandered into this conversation, he was uneasy. And because of that interview and, and, and witnessing that, I became more aware of it when I saw him on Letterman or other late night shows. He did the same thing. He didn't close his eyes then, but he, he kind of stayed on his material and didn't really feel comfortable going into anything else. And last night in watching uh, his new special on, on Netflix, it, that was really, I guess, the first time. And this is, it is a new thing for him. Well, and also the, the cold open that he did, I, I turned to my wife and I said, there's no way he did that. But right. it was actually, if it wasn't for the close-up, you yeah. would not believe that he jumped out into the Hudson River. Right. And he proved it at the end. Right. And so then they show the rehearsal footage and how he's training for it. And if it wasn't for that close up, you, you would have thought that it was digital and it wasn't him and it was a stunt guy. Yeah. And I'm wondering, I mean, at 65 years old, he's more physical now than he was at 35 years old. Right. And if uh, that's because of his wife, he has a very young wife. Did she su suggest he get exercise and, and become more physical or what? But man, he is much more of a physical person now. Than he used to be. Did, there was one thing that I noticed besides all the jokes, and there, it's Seinfeld, so it's it's a, a certain type of show. If you, there are some people that don't like Jerry Seinfeld's style or his manner, and if you like Seinfeld, you will enjoy the special. But did you notice that he didn't drink out of a water bottle? He had a water bottle on the stool, and he poured it into a glass, and then drank <laughs> out of the glass. That's a great observation. No, I didn't. That is that. a very Jerry Seinfeld thing to do. Yes, yes. Well, like, yeah. remember Robin Williams' special, the, his very last special? He had like 10 bottles of water. I'm like, oh, is he still doing cocaine? Because he, no, he drank sweat. like six of them. He sweats. He sweated a lot. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it could have been the coke. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I don't think it was. It, yeah, it was. It was Robin yeah. Williams just trying. Yeah. He's so manic. He, he needs water to hydrate. This, this is a, another observation I had about this special. Um, Jerry does a lot of observational humor, but the other... Seinfeld humor creeped in. And that is the uh, Seinfeld show humor from, uh, from what's his name? It's producer. Larry David. I think it from Larry David. The Larry David humor of people suck and I hate the world and I'll do anything to stay away from them. You know, that there was a little bit of that in that too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that comes back with what you were saying about his private life, about how he's very guarded. Well, you know, his wife was married before very briefly to a, Neder a Nederlander. The theater people. Okay. The ones, the big Broadway producers, they have a St. Louis connection. There's a Rocco. Oh, that's, that's another family. Landsman, Landisman, whatever. Anyway, Jerry Seinfeld's from, wife was- From Crystal Palace? Yeah. The, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. the Nederlanders, are huge Broadway producers. She was married to one of the sons. She wasn't married very long when she- Yeah, it was like less than a year. Eric, yeah, he, she married Eric Niederlander. 
Yeah, and she took out, I think Jerry was at her health club or something. She took off for him like a shot. Well, obviously it's worked and they have multiple children and, and all that. And, you know, private life is private life. So you don't know, but he still lives in the Dakota, doesn't he? Well, he, he talked about his daughter. He said, my daughters love my life. And then I got my two boys. And then he talked a little more about her and nothing about the boys. It, it was, it was, well, because she, she's getting ready to go to college. And so that that's more for yeah. him to talk about. Well, that's just, yeah. Uh, and the, the, the comparison to the alligator was absolutely, <laughs> I thought that was the funniest joke of all. I it was good. That. And uh, he says he doesn't want to do uh, comedians in cars anymore, but he did say that he might do one with Kimmel because Kimmel's the only person that he hasn't done one. Hmm. Oh. Because allegedly they are in some sort of fight, but he was just on uh, Kimmel last week to talk about this special. So whatever happens is might be in the yeah. past. I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I noticed that also, though, what you said about not talking about his boys and talking about his daughter, but I assumed it was because they're much younger. And, right. And also sometimes like my boys made a pact with me uh, when they were in high school, you are not writing about us mom, because I used to write about them in a local column and everybody knew them and they were so mortified. Like they go, mom, people come up to us all the time and talk about, and they go, would you please not write about us? So from like 13 to 18, I didn't write about them. I, I honored that request. I'd have that kind of agreement with his kids and that would be understandable. Yeah. Maybe because they're, you know, boy, well, especially mine, they were like, please don't write about us. So, so, you know, Lynn, that's you anything nice to say about them. <laughs> All right. And then, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Let's move on. Let's um, move on to Scooby-Doo because I, I, none of us saw it. I, I asked our Warner Brothers rep if we could get a link to it because Scooby-Doo came on in 1969. I was not born yet. You guys were young adults and you probably didn't care about scooby-doo i was a freshman in high school yeah. sophomore in high school yeah no yeah. yeah it, it was yeah. but what i didn't like about scooby -Doo, i used when i in the 70s and 80s when i was coming home from school channel 11 would be the cartoon station you'd get the bugs bunny you get the heckle and jekyll maybe a three stooges or then later it like became the disney stuff but like gi joe was in there and every like at four o'clock prime time watching it'd be the scooby-doo mysteries and i did not care about the scooby-doo mysteries scooby-doo screws everything up every episode of scooby-doo is the same it's not <laughs> funny they have a canned laugh track it's i was not a fan of scooby-doo until my friends told me in the uh mid 2000 teens about mystery incorporated where they actually started to appreciate it and have better writing because before it was just corny gags and how does this dog talk and solve mysteries they're free it's amazing that any of them got anything done and then there was the resurgent with the live films with freddie prince jr and sarah michelle geller and i'm a huge casey Kasem fan and i did watch the first five minutes of scooby or no wait it's scoob and they do have uh, it's Will Forte doing the voice of Shaggy now. Yeah. But he's standing in front of a sign. It's, it's, it's Shaggy standing there. It's Shaggy as a young lad. And Will Forte is doing the voice. Actually, I think it might be somebody else doing it as a young 
uh, yeah, it's oh, it's Ian Armitage, the kid from uh, the kid from Young Sheldon. He's playing the voice of a young uh, Shaggy, but it's it's got a it's got a picture. He's standing in front of a wall, and it says Casey's Creations, which I thought was really special that they did that because if it wasn't for Casey Kasem, uh, Shaggy Rogers would not have a voice for yeah. fifty years. And so I thought that was really well. So at least they're honoring the past by doing that. And Fred Welker is not doing, he's been Fred forever. He's not doing Fred, but he is doing Scooby-Doo. They've got Zac Efron doing Fred. Huh. I didn't even know Fred Welker was still around. Fred Welker's, he's been doing Scooby-Doo since the beginning. He's the only original cast member that is in this. And then uh, Mindy Cohn from uh, Facts of Life, she's been doing Velma for a long time, but now it's... Uh, Gina Rodriguez and so but and they also like brought in the super friends like Dino Mutt's there and Captain Caveman and Muttley and so it's kind of a hodgepodge of all these Warner Brothers uh Scooby-Doo universe weird things so and Amanda Seyfried is uh Daphne I I I have not heard good things about Scoob no well it's video on demand and it costs $19.99 so are you... But it was going to be released in theaters. Right. Do you so really? If you have a couple of kids or you want to get the neighbor, you know, I mean, I can see that that would be cost okay if you're a mom or dad yeah, wanting yeah, to do, you know, the whole family. But 1999 to see a new release, no, not going to happen. It worked I'm, with trolls, guys... though. Say it again. It worked with trolls. Oh yeah, but Trolls was just delightful. Yeah, but Scooby Doo's got Scooby Doo hits all four quadrants: the parents, the grandparents, and the kids would all be possibly interested in this. You're right; it would be a family movie when people need stuff to watch. That was I'm the just only biased against it because I don't like it. Well, you, it's the only it's the only new release. You guys have had some discussions on this. Uh, you know how the movie industry is going to survive this. Let's say, theoretically, hypothetically, you have a movie. You have a movie that was scheduled to come out in June of this year. What would you do? Well, like King of Staten Island is going to be video on demand June 12th. They're not messing around. They're not having any first run till mid-July. And then we don't even know about those. Yeah, but also it also is going to depend on what the theaters are going to do. Uh, I heard a rumor this week that Amazon's trying to buy AMC. Wow. Well, well, you know who's making out is drive-ins. Right. Drive-ins are able to show movies because of the the cars and the social distancing. Skyview's open. Their attendance is great. Uh, That place in Soto. But look what they're showing. They're showing trolls. Well, right now there's yeah they're showing trolls world and tour. They don't have any first run till mid July, uh, and that's but, the problem. I mean, yeah, and people will go. Uh, in fact, I'm I'm personally aware of a promotion that's being put together at Skyview right now. There, there's a lot of excitement about what can be done with that in a world where people do want to socialize but want to be careful. So yeah, things will happen there. And and because I'm aware of one and know what that one's about, I'm sure there are others where people are approaching them saying, you know, we've got we've got a first run movie and you know, you guys can run it if you want to. 
So they'll, well, they'll be getting some of that. To answer your question, Ron, I would say I would hold off. I would do, I would punt. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do right now. The kids movies are doing well and these little independent films are doing well. But if you have wonder woman, 1984, there's yep. no way you put that out on video on demand. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's you got to have the theater experience. You know, it's just, yeah, it's just, it's going to be interesting to see what happens because Christopher or yeah. uh, Christopher Nolan's movie Tenet right. is one of the first to go in theaters. I want to see that in the theater. Well, I don't want to see. The analogy is going to a restaurant for takeout or, or do you want to dine in? Well, people do want to dine in, you know, it's the experience. It's, part well, of the, it's not just the food and it's not just the movie. I, I know a restaurant that tore down their patio and redesigned it so that they can have people eat outside. And so, because they don't, they don't, people are afraid to eat in closed quarters. They, if they, you can use their parking lots, which is unfortunate for the fountain because they don't have that. But if you have a huge parking lot, you can utilize that. And I think people will feel safer outside. Well, Mother's Day, uh, there's, there's two other moms whose children live very far away. One's in Colorado, one's in Japan, and then my son's in New York. So we traditionally get together, spend Mother's Day together. So because of the social distancing, we hadn't seen each other since, um, you know, since the whole, like early March at a trivia night. So what we did was we went to pick up, um, there's a restaurant in Belleville that took over a golf course called Fletcher's. The golf course is closed, but it's like a nature trail now or something. Anyway, we decided that we would go there and we would sit, we would just bring lawn chairs and we would sit like on the golf course, like our, you know, six feet apart. But then the, the restaurant said, you can sit on the patio if you want. They have a huge patio because it used to overlook the golf course. So it's huge. So I can see them doing great when they reopen because Illinois doesn't reopen till May 29th. I think Missouri opens Monday, but Illinois is later, but I can see well, them not, because not Missouri, but not necessarily St. Louis city and County. Yeah. Well, the whole Missouri is open, right? Except for St. Louis. Yeah. But, but it will always be up to the individual restaurant owners. Fortunately, no one can force you to open and no one can force a person right. to work. My right. fear is this, for most restaurants, most restaurants don't have that parking lot they can turn into a, you know, put tables on or something, a patio. We, we, we live in a world where there are people who are cautious. They don't, they, if they go grocery shopping, they'll wear gloves, they'll put on the mask, they'll wash things, they're careful, they're considerate of others. And then there are people who are just the opposite of that, who think it's all hogwash, they don't wear a mask, they, they show up in a bar shoulder to shoulder, uh, where, where they can get away with it, and they do that. My fear is that a restaurant who goes, and, and I say this as someone who's going to be on that side of the fence with this, um, a restaurant that is taking all the precautions to protect themselves and to protect their customers will still get mostly people who aren't doing that. <laughs> they're the ones who are going to show up. And what they'll ruin it. Yeah. And they're going to, it's just, it's a fact of life. You know, from being out, you know, I I have to look at my produce when I buy it. I'm a I'm not ordering produce online. <laughs> just, 
I'm just weird that. But <laughs> I wear I wear the mask and I go in and I make sure my cart I'm not you know sanitized and and everything and I'm doing the six feet. But there are other people that are just. Yeah, You're right. just amazed. So how, this is the world we're going to have to deal with. Yeah. Gonna I, have, yeah. I, we're going to have to deal with all the people that think it's a social, like uh, we're stepping on their freedom. So but bringing this back to topic, though, of movie theaters, mm -hmm. when they do reopen, anyway. uh, some people, uh, Joy being one of them, thinks that they are just going to really, really have a rough time. Because even when they reopen and you feel safe, if there's one place you don't feel safe, it's sitting in a movie theater when you're that close to people and they do cough and they, you know, and hack and haw and do what they do and they're right there. It's or, or, you don't have even, the coronavirus. Even worse, the place where you hear more coughing is at the Fox Theater. <laughs> When you, all the old people that show up and you oh. can hear them coughing the yeah. whole time in right. the whole show. And it bothers yeah. you then. Imagine if it's if it bothered you a year ago, imagine how it's going to bother you You're in not. three months. Well, right before everything shut down, Marcus had put out a note about how they were going to have every other. You know how they have the couches. They right. were going to have every other one like blocked off you okay. know like like you could yeah. sit there yeah. no there yes there yeah. and they were going to do extra cleaning and this was all before everything shut down and mm -hmm. it seemed like a pretty good thing but i think isn't it everybody's going to be at like 25 percent capacity right yeah well that's, that's what that makes it impossible to make and money. let's let's say something like uh the biggest at at Ronnie's, I think the biggest is um, like 280. And so you're going to have, do the math, you're going to yeah. have about 75, 100 people. Right. Yeah. And if you get into one of those theaters, it's really 50 seats, you're down to 20 seats. Right. You know, yeah, that's. Yeah. Well, uh, another thing is to people that are compromised and people that are, you know, over 65. Yeah. Uh, we're not going to feel safe being around people that right. aren't taking yeah. precautions. So, so uh, yeah, it's it's. It, I mean, we can talk this on a hypothetical level. It's very difficult to know what it'll be like when we get there because uh, you know they find a vaccine, they find a cure, they find a, uh, other ways to prevent it, other methods and ideas that that'll matter. Yes. You know, playing to the yeah. The, uh, well, uh, yeah. It's it. We just don't know. It's going to be every day is different. Just like we don't know from one month to the next what's going to happen. And yeah, if we right. have that, yeah, if we exactly. have that whole influx again in November, you know, who knows? Who knows? We just. Here's a tweet I just saw. Uh, somebody who works for a local news department, uh, not not locally in St. Louis necessarily, but a lo works local local news is the news director lives with a person who thinks this is all BS, okay. that it's a hoax, and they're quarantined together. If that isn't at least a stage play, I don't know. What, I mean, what a, what, a, what a great thing. I mean, you know, one of the most important formulas in a, in a good comedy is the unbreakable bond between human beings. That's why most comedies, sitcoms take place 
in families because they have an unbreakable bond in the workplace because you're, you're forced to work with them. That creates the drama that's necessary to make the, the comedy really funny. You can't get more than that, more tension than that. Two people who are like this in a matter of life and death. And that's the second quotient, second thing that's important in drama, right? Life and death. If it isn't life and death, who cares? Right. Right. We're going to see a lot of art born out of this, I think. Yeah. Well, uh, one of the other streaming movies, video on demand, was from May 8th that I just got around to watching now called Clementine. They really were hawking this. Yep. It's a gay stalker movie that was at the St. Louis International Film Festival. It is so damn dull. <laughs> it takes forever to get going. There's two attractive women. It's a lot of staring at each other kind of thing. It's just, oh my God, it takes place at this lake house. And uh, I just, I've tried to watch it four times. I've, you know, turned it off and then come back and, oh my God. It's a hard watch, know. you're saying? It's a hard watch. Carl, Carl, do you agree with that? I didn't see, I didn't see it, but uh, Tom no. Stockman said he saw it last week and was not impressed. It just is so slow. Takes It circles around. It just takes forever to get to what the heck is going on. This one-sided breakup, this woman, she goes to her ex's lake house, breaks in, stays there somehow meets a woman who's looking for her dog and that's a strange relationship and then there's a caretaker guy and then there's this boy that the other girl's living with and then the ex calls the place <sighs> i don't even know what you're what's not the selling point. it you're not no. selling it to me. Well, I hate when I promise that I'm going to review something and then I hate it because then it's like, oh, I got to tell these people I hate it. <laughs> but it's, yeah, but no, it's like, come on. It's like, please, Pacey, how much can you just stare at people? I mean, it's just, it's easy. <laughs> so so you know like ray hartman the other night was like oh well two women you know <laughs> and i was really? like nah, it's not that it's not it's not like what you think it is so Too i bad. think right now the most fun is what's streaming on netflix well adam sandler has this little couch industry where he gets he he has this deal with netflix and he can do basically whatever he wants because it's making Netflix a lot of money and a lot of views. And the latest is with David Spade and Lauren Lapkus. It's called The Wrong Missy. And I have a friend named Missy. And so when I saw the trailer for this, I sent this to her and she's like, I will not be watching this. It is, <laughs> it's David Spade. Here's the premise of it. David Spade meets this gorgeous woman at the airport. It's Molly Sims, the right Missy. And she's beautiful, Sports Illustrated swimsuit model. And they, they make a connection at the airport. And so he says, you know what? I'm going to invite her to this corporate retreat that we're doing in Hawaii. 
the open of the film shows a horrible date that he, with this other girl named Melissa. And he has this horrible date and he, it's, it's actually kind of cute, this actual horrible date. And Roman Reigns, it's, it's, it's a funny meet cute, but it is actually, he would never date her again. So they're both named Melissa. And so he does the wrong Missy. He invites the wrong girl to the Hawaiian retreat because his friend played by Nick Swartzen, who works with him, says, just have her send all the details to me and I'll send it up. So instead of having the two sport Miss Maryland, gorgeous tall blonde that he's been telling everyone he's going to get, he gets Lauren Lapkus, who is vulgar, gross, and is she is an expert at everything. I'm a licensed therapist. I, I'm, I'm licensed in CPR. She is all of these things, but she's not the gorgeous Molly Sims. So that's the setup. So basically, um, Netflix paid for all these people to go to Hawaii. And Rob Schneider's in it, playing uh, a Rob Schneider character. And the, uh, the big boss is played by uh, Jeff Pearson, who I like Jeff Pearson. He's, 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 he was great on Dexter. He was Dexter's uh, dad uh, that was always a ghost and giving him trouble. Sarah Chalk's in this as the, yeah. So Sarah Chalk's in this and she's the girl that left Tim, who's David Spade. Uh, they were fiance and then he, she got a new boyfriend. And it's, it's just, it's a, it's a very, it's more complicated than it needs to be for an Adam Sandler movie even though it's an Adam Sandler production. It's Happy Madison. And it's only nine minute, 90 minutes long. I like Adam Sandler movies. I, I, hold on, let me, let me rephrase that. I want to like Adam Sandler movies. <laughs> and Vulture did a whole thing. They, they, they said, they listed all the Adam Sandler movies as which is the most Adam Sandler-y. They say, not, which is not the best, which is the most Adam Sandler, because in the last 20 years, the person that has made the most money on return is Adam Sandler. He's the mate. He makes these small films and they blow up. They're not, not every single one of them is Wedding Singer or Uncut Gems or uh, Fifty First Dates, but they make a lot of money for the, the, ratio of how much it costs to produce and that's why netflix gave him a ton of money and then the drama he did with ben stiller besides besides uncut gems but what the the Mankiewicz stories that was well reviewed and people love that movie critically so he has he knows how to work in hollywood and i think that's great and that's that's what hollywood needs right now it's a dumb comedy day i think david spade looks great because he shaved his face i watched <laughs> his show i watched his show on comedy central after trevor noah which i thought was stupid to cancel because it i thought it was consistently good every night it, it, did, it did depend on the guests except they just kept try to change it every so often but i did like his show on comedy central and i didn't i don't like him with the goatee i think he looks like a hoosier he, i think he looks like joe dirt but with when he's clean shaven he looks i think he looks respectable and he looks like a good actor i mean he's still david spade and i love david spade but he's not he's not a snarky guy he's a hero in this and he's doing the right thing and i wanted to hate this movie and I kind of enjoyed it. 
because it, I, the bar is so low on these Happy Madison productions. Right. Yeah. It's I'm, right. Well, I I heard that it was a it it went for gross out stuff instead of it, it that it, if this black. was released theatrically, it would be PG thirteen, but it's not. And since it's on Netflix, there's a lot of F-bombs, there's a lot of GDs, there's a lot of mofos that are not necessary, but it does make the Missy character more grating, which you're supposed to. She's like, oh, I'm going to get you out. There's a lot of dirty, dirty sex talk, (laughs) which is fine, but it's vulgar. But if this was released, it wouldn't be rated R. It would be rated PG-13. It would make a lot of money. But I, I... I kind of liked it and I and I I don't I don't I don't feel ashamed saying that because I as I told you Lynn I liked the Jennifer Aniston Adam Sandler murder mystery I thought it was I thought it was clever hold on a second yep never mind go ahead (laughs) well uh Netflix is uh you know I mean timing it's all about the timing and people need laughs now because every week Ray is always asking me uh, KTRS, he's always saying, yeah, comedy. Let's make us, because I've been doing all these depressing little indies. And, well, nothing's, and fun, nothing's fun right now. I know. That's why people need to laugh. So I watched the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt's interactive special, Kimmy Schmidt versus the Reverend. Now, see, Anybody that's... see that? How many, how many versions did you watch? Since it's, a, it's, like, it's like what they do with Black Mirror and Balderdash. The like it's a choose your own Bandersnatch. Bandersnatch. Okay. But which won the Emmy. Yeah, but how can you have a choose your own adventure if you're choosing your own ending and situations? Well, what this is, it's just choosing the joke. Okay. It's just basically choosing the joke. Bandersnatch was choosing the plot. Okay. Development. This is the interactive special. It gives you two choices. I'm going to go back and watch the choices I didn't make to see which joke that is. But they set it up. But it's Tina Fey writing. She created Kimmy Schmidt. With her she husband. Wrote, yes, Robert Carlock. And so if you like 30 Rock, it's that one-liner, that quick wit, that just... I love the way Tina Fey uses pop culture references. And also... If you watch this, you'll see a lot of people from SNL and 30 Rock alums. So if you that's never okay. watched Kimmy Schmidt, that's Ellie Kemper from St. Louis. Yeah. And also John Hamm is in it as the Reverend. He is Richard Wayne, Gary Wayne, the leader of the doomsday cult that had Kimmy Schmidt in her bunker, in the bunker in Indiana. And then when she was rescued, she goes to New York City and she's a babe in the woods. She's totally innocent. And it's a magical reality. And also she missed whole chunks of pop culture. So she doesn't get the references or know what people are talking about. And she moves in with Titus Burgess, who is a gay black actor, wannabe Titus. And he is so funny. Her landlord is Carol Kane. Really? And Yes, and Jane Krakowski is her boss because she goes to be a babysitter for Jane, who's married to a billionaire's kids. That's first season. I only watched two seasons. I 
did not follow through with three and four, and it only lasted four seasons. But what is so fun about this interactive special is John Hamm is back, and John Hamm and Tina Fey have a great comedic relationship because he came on uh, 30 Rock as a doctor that Liz Lemon fell in love with, and he lived in the yeah. bubble. Remember yeah. that? Well, he, he was also on Saturday Night Live, and he, I think, I don't know who wrote it, but one of the best bits ever when John Ham was on was John Ham's John Ham <laughs> ham you could eat in the toilet. <laughs> I know my kids used to say that one all the time. So it's John Ham being just goofy as all get out, and then uh, the special guest is Daniel Radcliffe, none other than Harry Potter. He plays a prince that Kimmy is engaged to, and he okay. is a hoot. One of the things about Daniel Radcliffe that I so admire is after Harry Potter, he took on some very challenging roles. He went he to Broadway. Equus. Yes, and he went to Broadway in How to Succeed, and he sang. And he's been on Broadway several times, The Lifespan of a Fact. And he also does interesting work. He's, he, what, he was in a series with John Hamm, wasn't it, about medical people back in the early oh, days? yes. You're right. And he's also doing that show with C Steve Buscemi on uh, TBS, uh, Miracle Workers. So he takes on some really interesting roles, I think. And here he's just delightful. He's this clueless prince. He lives in a, he's a very sheltered prince, lives in a bubble. Tina likes those kind of stories. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So, like, for instance, for the interactive, you either get a she comes home and they live in a house that's all candy colored, of course. And she comes home and he goes, well, we could make out or we could plan the wedding. So those are your choices. Make out, plan the wedding. And what did you pick? I picked plan the wedding. <laughs> because the wedding is so. Kelly Kempfer thanks you for that. <laughs> yeah. So it's really, a, it's just very charming and delightful. And like Chris Parnell, Tina Fey loves him. Dr. Spaceman. And he's so funny. So there's all these comedic bits. It's like a road movie. She goes, she leaves, instead of planning the wedding, she leaves to go visit John Hamm in prison because she has to find out something. Okay. So she goes, it's a road trip through three states. It's very delightful and very charming, and I'm so happy I watched it, and it has that St. Louis connection. Uh, the other movie that you were talking about was A, a Young Doctor's Notebook. Oh, okay. That's that was, it. That was the series with D John Hamm and Daniel Radcliffe. Okay, so another St. Louis connection that's now on Netflix is Justin Willman. He's a magician. He hosted Cupcake Wars and I think Good Eats on on Food Network. But okay. he grew he grew up in St. Louis. He did kids' birthday parties. A friend of mine in Kirkwood had him at her kids' birthday party. He went to Ledoux High. Okay. Fort Watkins. Say it right. Okay. Fort and, Fort Watkins. And this is this show is called Magic for Humans and it started season three started Friday. On the Netflix? On the Netflix. And he's from St. Louis. He's a nice uh, fella. And uh, he, uh, what this is, is about, it's kind of a, he does, it's kind of like stupid human tricks. 
Okay. He goes around and, and it's a little bit of candid camera too. Okay. So anyway, that's the other St. Louis connection that's on Netflix. Ron, have you seen anything of note? Well, I don't know. You guys might have already reviewed Bombshell, the Hedy Lamar documentary. Have you? No. Uh, I watched that last night on Netflix. And uh, it, it, it happened because a reporter back in the 80s for, uh, interviewed her for Forbes magazine and had several hours of interview material via phone call with her on cassette. And it, he forgot about him. And he did the article and, and the uh, tapes were like hidden behind a trash can in his office. And he, we all have those. Yes. Well, he found his. Okay. And went through them all and realized that there was an untold story about Hedy Lamar. Um, anybody knows Hedy Lamar history knows that she basically invented the, uh, the concept of uh, uh, signal skipping, I think it's called. Yeah. Uh, for GPS and cell phones. Yeah, it's, it wasn't just for acting. She yeah. actually, uh, mm. Drunk History did a whole thing about her, how yeah. she, she was only acting because nobody was taking her seriously. Oh, she yeah, was, she was a scientist. Yeah, she was beautiful. She was beautiful and talented. Oh, and she was be oh, beautiful. Oh. Yes. And, but she would rather than go out, I mean, she was married, what, seven or eight times, <laughs> go out with these very uh, successful husbands and you know out on the town she preferred to stay home and invent and tinker she often did that so she had she had the patent she actually had the patent on channel skipping i think it's something like that channel yeah yeah channel people hopping, yeah. Hopping. i'll get it right world uh, war ii yeah but she had other inv uh, inventions and and uh um uh ideas and drawings uh as well. Uh, but the, the documentary, uh, you know, I, I had to view it two ways. One is just, uh, you know, the interest in the, in the subject matter, but also just the, in the interest in a documentary and, and what you do with this material you have. Well, with someone like Hedy Lamar, my God, you've got, you know, hours and hours of film footage uh, and photographs of the yin yang. You've got anything you could ask for in the way of people who are still alive or kids are still alive or talk about her. A lot there, a lot there, which makes it more of a challenge than less of a challenge because you have to filter through that and focus on the story. And uh, I, I think the, the, the documentary does that well, but at the same time, because there's so much there, uh, it's just, it never ends. It's like, <laughs> my God, the eye candy just never ends. It's, you know, right. one photograph after another. Uh, but, but usually, I think in a documentary, you hope for, you hope for something to happen, <laughs> which is tough because, you know, in a documentary, nothing is necessarily supposed to happen. You're supposed to learn. Right. But we're hooked on storyline. So you want something to happen. Well, well that's what makes a good documentary, a good documentary. There's also a story, there's a through line that you, yeah. besides everything, you can see what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, that's important uh, that create that timeline or, or a way to tell where you are in, in the storyline. But it's the, the sooner the viewer can identify the story, the more they will get out of that story. And uh, so at some point up front, that needs to be stated, and I think it was. But uh, I, I'm trying to identify with why I was not totally happy with it. 
maybe because I expected more because there's such a rich story there. Um, there, there are some surprises in the end in that uh, she does grow old and she grows ugly and she, she, she does deal with, uh, you know, her years of drugs. So all that comes to fruition in the end and that's kind of painful to watch, but it's, it's the real ugly truth about her. It's definitely something you want to see, even if you don't know who Hedy Lamar is. Well, she lived in seclusion for the last several years of her life. She, she, was, she was married right. seven times. You right. should watch the drunk history version of this because okay. the U.S. Navy didn't, um, they didn't, she did the whole signal skipping things, but they didn't adapt her stuff until the, until the Korean War. They, she had it done for them in World War II, but they didn't do, use it until 57. So she had it, she yeah. had it given to them on a platter and they never, they didn't, they didn't take her seriously. They, uh, they not only didn't take her seriously, she unfortunately didn't take it very seriously herself. For a woman as brilliant as she is and had the resources and contacts that she had, she didn't really do much to protect that patent. And she wasn't even aware it was being used by the federal government until it was really too late to do anything about it. Consequently, she lost out on billions of dollars, which well, to her probably meant less than the recognition that she really wanted. Well, she, they put her in the uh, Inventors Hall of Fame in 2014 because stuff that she created, Bluetooth is used by that. That's correct. Yeah, GPS and Bluetooth, as well as cell phone technology. But at the time, it was all defense technology. I think you should and watch the drunk history. You know, it's like nine minutes and you might be, you might enjoy that better than okay. the entire two hour documentary. Well, that's just it. This, because it's Hedy Lamar means so much to so many people, uh, you, she, the, the documentarian fell into the trap of, okay, we have to tell her whole story, which she wanted told, you know, in her life. So he was kind of like honoring her desire to have her story told, which goes into her, her movie life, her personal life. Sex uh, on screen. Life, just everything about her. So you, when you take on all that much, that's, that's a bold undertaking. Do they, do they uh, sh show scenes from ecstasy or uh, forbidden Very woman? few. Very few. But they do show them, yes. And that was her first movie, right? And that was the one that launched her. Well, Ecstasy, that, those were all European. And then- Yes, that was when here. she was naked well, swimming, they right? The, they showed the nude scenes. They showed her nude. And uh, that, which I think had to be done to, to really- Show how beautiful she was. Well, yeah. and then, but then she, she felt typecast with like all these, she's the other woman, strange woman, dishonored lady. So then she goes to work for Cecil B. DeMille and then she's Delilah and Samson and Delilah. And so then she starts a new thing, but then she's also tinkering in the lab while not doing movies. Yeah. And, and uh, her, her love of her home country, Vienna, uh, comes through uh, uh, well. And, uh, and I didn't expect that. I, I didn't know, number one, I didn't know she was from Vienna, uh, from Aus Austria. Uh, mm -hmm. But she she has continued through her life to have a strong identity with her with her homeland. Well, I'm I'm a Hedy Hedy Lamar fan, and he, I I enjoyed the drunk. And I'm going to keep saying this: see, seek out the drunk history. That. I will do that. Seek out the drunk history, Lynn. What else is coming? What's out on the DVD this week? Uh, uh, one of your favorites, The Birds of Prey. That's These the actress, are Margot Robbie. 
these are all the movies that were in the theaters right before we got shut down. The Call of the Wild, oh, The Traitor, horrible. horrible, The Photograph, and then Fantasy Island, which they didn't show us. I really want to see Fantasy Island because I want to see what Blum did with it because it's not, you know. The plane, the plane. No, I don't think there's any of that. No. It's, it's a horror no. film. And uh, Corinthian Leather, no. <laughs> uh, this Tuesday, May 19th, is Sonic the Hedgehog, The Way Back, and oh. our favorite animated movie of the year, uh, not Onward. Onward. On yeah, but Onward's been on Disney Plus for weeks. Well, it's DVD now. It's okay. for people that don't have it. So on HBO, The Joker just started last night. And Ready or Not, the horror film. I want to see that because I've still heard good things about it. I know. You and I didn't watch it. Everybody that watched it really liked it. Um, that is May 23rd. So that's Memorial Day weekend. And then what I'm really excited about seeing because Max loved it so much and everybody else hated it was Lucy in the Sky on May 30th. Big blue dot. And I, I said... <laughs> If the Beatles song is not in there, it's crap. And then he said, well, it's in there, but it's not the Beatles. So, crap. That makes it a car commercial. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know how um, HBO runs all sorts of movies? Well, all four Jaws are going are in rotation this month. In, in Jaws May. the Revenge, too? Yeah. So, it's the first one, Jaws 2, Jaws 3 and 3D. And you Jaws can, the Revenge. You can stop after the second one. Yeah. Well, what I love is how everybody's uh, compared some of the governors to the mayor in Jaws. But think about this. The mayor in Jaws got reelected because he was still mayor in Jaws 2. Jaws 2. You well, know. I... But, oh, the first one is so, so scary. Except Jim Tudor and his kids were having a discussion about is Jaws really that scary? I say yes. I say yes. It depends on how old. See, that's the thing. In 1975, parents let their kids see Jaws because you don't really see the shark until the end anyway. And so Jaws is very scary. It depends on how old you are when you see it. If you're a teenager, you're numb to this. If you see it when you're seven, you will be scared. Hopefully. I saw it when I was in college. It was the... It was the uh, if everybody remembers, it was the birth of the blockbuster. Yeah. It was, uh, and it was the birth of the summer movie. And uh, I was in summer school that summer, my right before my senior year. And we went and, oh my God, those first five minutes with the girl in the water. And oh my God, how terrifying. Yeah. And then that music, because sometimes you don't know when the shark's going to pop up. Well, that, see, that to me is what, what Jaws did. It was an awakening for me in terms of how, how to create fear. Because what you don't see is scarier than what you do see. And to, there are so many great examples of that in horror movies. Uh, you know, the sound behind you, the shadow in the window, all those little things that suggest so much to the mind. And Jaws probably did it better than any of them, where you don't, the thing's under there. It's under there. And you see just enough throughout the movie to be scared shitless, excuse the expression. But that's what well, you are, you know? You are. You are. Oh, my God. And the acting in it, it's so good. 
for, you know, it just was, and then, it, well, it made Spielberg, Spielberg. Because, you yeah. know, his first movie. So that's what's on the HBO, which, and HBO Max is launching May 27th, right? Yes, and if you have, I think if you are a current HBO subscriber, you're still going to get HBO Max. I'm not 100% sure how it's working. I hope so. I, I just got, since I moved, I just have AT&T uh, TV now, not DirecTV. And this is the one where you use your apps. Mm. Okay. Still yeah, figuring it out. New world, Lynn. It's a new world. Have fun. It is a new world. But what was so awesome was on my YouTube app, YouTube app on my tele, on, it's like they read my computer. It's like my list of favorites and, and they give me suggestions and it's all like my previous watch was all on the computer, but I got to watch the graduation, like Obama's commencement speech on my TV last night instead of the computer because I have the YouTube channel. But it was on every channel yesterday. You couldn't avoid it. Fox. You couldn't miss it. it I know. Fox, well, you can't. Yeah, yeah, no. And NBC. So, and it was on, it was on every streaming platform as well, too. He so. was right. probably the only thing in that entire hour that wasn't on green screen. True. <laughs> really, yeah. everything, that whole thing was green screen. But it was well done, though. Oh, really? And at least they admitted it. And I thought that was wise because, my gosh, you know. It, it, you're right. You couldn't tell until they told you most of the time. You couldn't tell. Right. Between. But a lot of the musical performances, the way that they integrated several yeah. different green screens and zooms yeah. and house parties, the way that they did it was really well done. And I, that is probably going to be the future of television. Soon. I think you're right. I think so. Yeah. Oh, no, just what everybody's been doing with technology to keep us, uh, to keep fresh content has really been something. Amazon is going to have uh, Rocket Man May 22nd. And then Seabird, which we've reviewed here, that is going to be on, uh, well, I guess May 15th was Friday. So Seabird, which Kristen Stewart's very good. Very, very good as her. And, uh, you know, it was in theaters and we reviewed it and everything. But getting back to the TV, what's on TV now, all this fresh content, what they're doing with the screens, the Zooms, the having the different things. That's what's keeping everything going smooth. I'm amazed at the talk shows, the way they integrate everybody. And um, uh, I, I, I do think that they need the writers back in the writer's room. <laughs> the writers need to get back and do actual writing instead of sending in one or two jokes because the monologues for the last, okay, they started off strong, but now the writers need to get back to writing. Right. You can tell, you can tell, except there's a couple things like Seth Meyers. He's up in his attic. Yeah, but he's he, doing those, he's doing those long form things. Those are, that's, that is a one time, that's a written piece that is written and edited and stuff like that. I'm talking about monologues and right. desk pieces. Right, like 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 Colbert doing or his, or yeah, uh, I don't watch Fallon, so I don't know. But uh, but the Roots have been doing good music things. But more a lot of the a lot of the guests, the music guests have been doing really good. John Fogerty was on with his children. Okay. His son and his daughter. Is he mad at them too. 
obviously not. It was they were in a home studio, but you know, it's kind of cool to see John Fogarty playing with his kids. James Taylor had his son on The Voice, and they were singing together. Uh, did you anybody watch The Happy Days of Gary Marshall the other night? No, I'm upset. I didn't oh. find out about it. I, I worked at 12 that day, and I did not find out about it until after it was half over. And I so I want to see the entire thing. I love Gary Marshall. I hope, it on ABC. It was on yeah, ABC. it was ABC. It was a tribute show, and I am so glad I had just seen a snippet of it on Entertainment Tonight. And I thought, oh, I got to watch that. And it was delightful. And everybody who ever worked with him was on it. Except I mean, for the fact that there's, they should have done it while he was alive. They should have done it while he was alive. They didn't do, a, there's a, one of the complaints I heard about was that there, he did a 30 minute interview with the uh, Emmy Awards that they didn't use any of that. They, he's he himself is barely in it. And if they would have done this even five years ago, I mean, what did he die in 2014? Okay, if they would have done this six years ago, he would have been alive to see it, and more people would have been alive. And it, it was filled with talking heads that never worked with him that just were appreciating him. Hmm. Yeah. Well, so, uh, one of the things that I really enjoyed was they showed Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley and Mork and Mindy. And Joni loves Chachi. <laughs> little time bit little time bit but what was really cool was you forgot how cindy williams and penny marshall were so physically comedic how great they were at physical comedy oh my god they showed you know so many clips from laverne and shirley and they were on par with lucy and ethel i mean well, it, if, yeah. When when they made the stupid decision to move to California, and there was an earthquake, and they were all swinging, their beds were. I that is something I physically remember. I actually liked them better in Milwaukee, but I still remember that scene of them when they moved to California, and they were swinging off the chandeliers. That was very physical. And then Michael McKean was interviewed about Lenny and Squiggy. Oh my right. God. Lenny well, and people forget that Laverne and Shirley overtook Happy Days as the number one show. Yeah, that. But so the scenes they were showed. Squiggy never a, a, a spinoff. And I mean, then, yeah, it was the king of spinoffs. Why did he never spin them off? I know. And then uh, they showed Robin Williams opening on Happy Days. Yeah, and I then did. they had Ron Howard and Henry Winkler talking about Robin Williams being on the set for the first day and how they all looked at each other and was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. This guy. And Pam Dauber's interviewed. She's looking pretty good. I like I always loved Pam Dauber. Yeah. Still married Mark Harmon. And uh, so um, she says Gary Marshall called her and said, this guy, he doesn't stay on script. <laughs> so just warning her that if she's going to take this role, this guy is going to. He made writers know. lazy. The writers yeah. who write for, for Mark and Mindy, they would just put Robin gets funny here. <laughs> so they had and then to Robin write. said, I want my hero, Jonathan Winters, to be on the show. And so they made him a. Very right, exactly. Yeah, so they showed so much of that and how he would just take off. And I'm just thinking that might be one of the greatest debuts ever on TV. Robin that Williams nobody, on Happy Days? What? 
Robin Williams on Happy Days? Well, Mork, it, I mean, yeah. just as Mork. Mork yeah, and Mindy. It, could have, it could have easily been their shark that they jumped to. I mean, oh, they, they showed, they showed that. <laughs> they showed that jumping yeah. the shark. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. I was like, mm -hmm. I don't know if I'd want to show that. But uh, Robin Williams, uh, I, to me, Bruce Willis on Moonlighting and Robin Williams on Mork and Mindy, you were like, who is this guy? Where have they been? You know, like you when you first a saw lot of ABC shows, Gary Marshall single-handedly saved ABC. The only people, the only thing that people were watching on ABC was Monday Night Football. Uh, ABC's biggest star was Howard Cosell. Wow, wow! And he was he was the uh, first host of the first Saturday Night Live. Right. Howard Saturday Howard Howard Cosell Saturday Night Live on ABC. That's correct. Yeah. That's why the first years it's just called Saturday Night. Like the first two, and then that, then Cosell's show got canceled. Then they changed it. Yeah, to Saturday Night Live, and to what it is, uh, and George Carlin was the first host of that. Right. So, so Ron, we, you've know you've known and interviewed a lot of people. Did you ever get to interview Fred Willard or Jerry Stiller? I I spent an afternoon with Fred Willard. And it was uh, a friend, a couple, a, a husband and wife in Los Angeles invited me and Joy over for a barbecue. And they had this little swimming pool that was in ground that was big enough for maybe three people. I never saw a pool so small, but it was the coolest thing to have this little bitty swimming pool. So uh, he said, I invited my neighbors over. Uh, Scott uh, said, I invited my neighbors over. And it turns out it was Fred Willard and his wife. And uh, so we sat in that pool with our Feet, everyone had their feet in the pool for several <laughs> hours. I, uh, he's, he's, he's a very, very sweet person. Uh, you know, his character has always been the, the stupid guy, the guy who just- Clueless, who, clueless. Right. In life, he's of course not that way. He's very yeah. sharp. Uh, I, I like a lot of improv artists. He is, he was truly an improv artist. Very much like Paul Rubens, where he developed one, you know, the Pee Wee Herman character where Paul could do thousands of characters, but that's the one that caught. Same for Fred. Fred really gravitated to that clueless character, but it's obvious he was very intelligent and capable of doing just about anything he wanted. Uh, he was uh, very unassuming and uh, just a real person, which, which you know, you want, you want people like that to be. So sometimes it's difficult. Uh, in that situation, it was easy because there were only six of us there, so he didn't have to perform for anybody and two of them were his neighbors so <laughs> so it was, a, it was a pleasant afternoon and, and we were already fans we, we were fans of Fernwood tonight and then became oh. America tonight with Martin Mole. Martin Mole Martin Mole was uh interviewed after Fred Willard died yesterday and he said that uh he was just a genius at improv he he just didn't know where he was going and he wouldn't tip you off and and he never underlined his jokes they were that you had to pay attention because they were so embedded in him, the way he delivered his lines. If you weren't paying attention, it went right past you. Oh my God. In the Christopher Guest movies, in Waiting for Guffman, when he plays the travel agent with his wife, Catherine O'Hara, and they've never been outside of Missouri. Oh my God. And then they try out for the town show and uh, he sing, they sing Midnight at the Oasis. <laughs> And then afterwards, when uh, I, either Bob Balaban or Corky St. Clair, Christopher Guest, says, could you take this tool? And he goes, oh, strike. 
he goes, uh, my wife and I have worked with Corey, a uh, Corky before, and so we know all the terms. <laughs> Strike in the set. And you wonder, <laughs> you wonder how much of those scenes were improvised, uh, because so many of those people in those, you know, were capable of it. Christopher Guest is as capable of it as Fred Willard. Oh yeah, and Eugene Levy and uh, oh. Catherine O'Hara. Uh, yeah. In Best yeah. in Show, when he plays the commentator for the dog for the dog show oh, yeah yeah he sh he was so brilliant he should have been nominated for best supporting actor but he didn't get but uh, i think that was mostly improv his yeah, riffs I, I, i've always wondered um how much improv goes into you know any of that and uh, from director to director and you know show to show i'm sure it changes but uh i was invited uh, by pat mccormick remember pat mccormick yeah he was the head writer for tonight, tonight's show, and of course he was in Under the Rainbow, which he wrote. And uh, Carrie Fisher. What's that? Chevy Chase. Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher was in Under the Rainbow. Oh, oh, oh that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, he he did a series of uh, radio commercials with uh, uh, what was the guy's name? Like, like Alan Barsman. Barsman and McCormick worked as a team. And uh, they were award-winning commercials. Well, Alan and uh, I, I knew Alan and I knew Pat because uh, we were working, all working for the same company. It was actually Alan's company. And uh, they had a fight. So Pat called me one day and says, we have to do this Time Magazine commercial. And Alan, he's not talking to me. Can you do a good Alan Barsman impression? And I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I can. So I come down there. And I'm waiting for the script. And they said, well, there's no script. Basically, you just ask, uh, you play straight man to Pat McCormick, which is what the things always were. So I just go, with me here today is Pat or Mr. So-and-so, the president or whatever. And he would just get going, you know? And we went for a good 10 minutes. I didn't have to do much, just ask a couple of <laughs> questions. And he would just go, 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 go. They took that and turned it into a 30 second commercial and we won an award for it. Yay! And, yeah, and I still had that award somewhere. But uh, it just, it, it amazed me that that exists, that existed then, and I'm sure it still does. Now, another story, though, I was on a plane with Maury Amsterdam, who played uh, Buddy. Oh, but, yeah. Buddy. Buddy and Sally. The convention. What? Buddy and Sally. Yes. On the Dick Van Dyke show. So he and I were traveling to a convention. Uh, we were both speakers at a convention. Um, so I asked him, I said, how much, you know, in that, where you guys were the writers for the, uh, the Alan Brady show and, you know, your writers, how much of that was improvised? He said, there was an episode once where I'm standing, Dick's standing in front of me, Dick Van Dyke, and he's talking to me. And I interrupted him. I said, excuse me. And I walked around him and there was a picture behind him that was crooked on the wall. I straightened it and came back and said, okay. And he continued, he goes, that was the one and only time anything on that show was ever improvised. Wow. So you got both ends of the spectrum there. You know, you expect more of the Robin Williams. Hey, there's an idea. When, when Joy and I wrote for WKRP in Cincinnati, we had Howard Hessman, who came from the committee, which was a huge improv uh, group out of San Francisco. That guy could do that. So we would write scripts. We would rewrite scripts. They would rehearse it. And then they'd be on a set. And all the writers would be sitting there in their chairs waiting for Howard Hessman to just throw anything out. Goes, yeah, that's good. And he would rewrite the show on his feet. Make it funnier. Speaking of Howard Hessman, they are going to reboot Head of the Class, 
for really? Netflix. Yes. I'll be done. With him? Wow. Um, I don't think so. I don't think with Billy Conley either. I think it's going to be all brand new. I read that this week that they're going to reboot. And I think it, I'm not sure, but I think it might be Netflix. Interesting. And, because, and, you know, that, that was always a good premise, you know, uh, get the smart kids together and try to teach them how to be kids. What was the, uh, what was the other show similar to that? Um, the one John Sebastian did the theme song for. Oh, Welcome Back, Welcome Cotter. Back Cotter. Cotter. There's a show. There's another Well, those show. were delinquents that he was trying to make yeah. their lives better. <laughs> yeah. That was after the success of things like To Sir With Love. Right. That seemed to be a common theme in movies for a while. Yeah, so go back know, to did, the territory. Did you know Jerry Stiller at all? No, I wish I Ever did. And Mara, I have every Stiller and Mara album I'm aware of. Uh, Stiller and Mara on Ed Sullivan, they were so good. And yeah. then, uh, of course, as George Costanza's dad on he Seinfeld. He was in less than 30 episodes of Seinfeld and made so much of an impact by being on a couple dozen episodes yeah. that that character was good. And then I have a friend that worked on the King of Queens and said he was a gentleman and a scholar. And he, he, I, I, I know people that only know him from King of Queens because they're that young. Right. Wow. Well, Festivus for the rest of us. And then Serenity <laughs> Now. Serenity right. Now. I mean, that's what he, and then of course being dad to Ben Stiller. Well, and also uh, Mike, it, Michael Richards has been like, not doing much. He joined Instagram just to pay tribute to Jerry Stiller. Wasn't that awesome? Yeah. So we've lost two of the greats. I had no idea Fred Willard was 86. Um, well, they he, had just killed him off on the final season of Modern Family. And I'm like, yeah. Wow. Oh, what perfect casting as Phil Dunphy's dad. If you yeah. were going to cast Phil Dunphy's dad, you would go to Fred Willard. Fred Willard. I mean, you would. But he's going to be with Steve Carell in the Space, Space Force. Force. He's the playing new Steve Carell's dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The new Netflix. So there's a, another chance to see him. So he was working and he was 86 and he was working all the way to the end. He was also the dad on Everybody Loves Raymond. He was the He was, he was uh, Robert's father-in-law. Right. With, uh, Georgia Engel. Georgia Engel as his wife. And they were very conservative. <laughs> He, he he got three Emmy nominations in a row for for uh, Everybody Loves Raymond, and so for Modern Family. Yeah, the uh, any actor's dream or actress's dream is to be able to continue to work into your eighties. Yeah, you know, yeah, and he looked great. Yeah. So no, I guess no, it was he didn't uh, natural. Look great, he looked like Fred Willard. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah, eighty six. Well, uh, two people, two famous people have died from rare, rare blood disorders this weekend. One is the director, Lynn Shelton. And if she you know a lot Mark, of TV, she did a lot of famous TV. Yeah. And she also did movies with Mark Duplass, Hump Day, which I saw, Your Sister's Sister. And uh, she then, was dating Mark Marin. Right. They lived together. They were romantic partners. He just wrote this wonderful piece about her. Well, oh, I mean, they quoted him in the, the well, piece so about her. Mindy Kaling wrote something, too, because she worked on Mindy Project and she was, did Masters of None. She did a lot of uh, high quality award winning television. Well, she did that that movie I liked so much last year with a bunch of the improv people called Sword of, Tor Sword of Trust. With uh, Jim Gaffigan. 
and Mark Marin was in that. He played the owner of the pawn shop. So if you haven't seen Sword of Trust, I recommend it because it's goofy. And uh, she directed that. So apparently she just collapsed and she was diagnosed with this rare blood disorder and she died. Wow. And Phyllis George, the former first lady of Kentucky and Miss America and a pioneer in sports broadcasting. Jimmy the Greek. CBS, NFL Today. She is the mom of Pamela Brown on CNN. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, so her daughter's, a, a, she's like the senior White House correspondent. Anyway, she died of a rare blood disorder, but she's had it for, she was diagnosed with it years ago. But both her children gave loving tributes and said she was just, they used to call her Hurricane Phil because she had so much energy and she did so much with her life. So they said she lived a lot longer with this blood disorder than anybody predicted. But she was the first in-studio female host for the NFL Today. Right. That's how I first knew her. Right. A lot of people. They said she just, uh, Brett Musburger said she just had a smile that lit up the room. And she grew up in a small town in Denton, Texas. And they said she could sit with like basket weavers in Kentucky on their front porch, just like she could host a dinner with four presidents at it. You know, so yeah, so she said it was all because of Miss America. That mm. was the platform that launched her. She started looking like a Fred Willard a little bit herself. <laughs> You're not supposed she, to say that, right? <laughs> she, she was only 70. Seriously? Oh, I take it back. Okay. Yeah, she was only seven. She uh -huh. looked pretty good, I... though, in the pictures that they, they're showing on uh, television. And then uh, another guy who died, I don't know if you, I started watching Trading Spaces back in the day when it first came on, on uh, TLC. Because you like that kind of crap. Well, it was fun back then when it first started, how they would take these homes and they would switch spaces. So Frank, which is like Balik, B-A-B-I-E-L-E-C. Yeah. He just died yesterday. I guess it'd be Bilek. So, yeah. So you guys look, look at all the people that have died. Yeah, but there were like three people in one day. It was like Lynn Shelton, Fred Willard, and Phyllis George. Always in one day. Right. Which is really interesting. And no, nobody, all the deaths yesterday, nobody's died of COVID. 19. So you said you got an email from Cinema St. Louis. What was that about? Yeah, um, they have decided that St. Louis Filmmakers Showcase in July, two weekends in July, is going to be virtual. Really? Yeah, they're not going to. They're not going to have it. And the deadline for submission is May thirty first. Hmm. So that's what their their that's news two is. Weeks. Yes, and I'm going to be on Shakespeare TV this Wednesday night talking about West Side Story. 8 p.m. Wednesday, uh, St. Louis Shakespeare, uh, Shakespeare Festival, St. Louis page, hosted by Cliff Fralick, and I'm the special guest. Did the new West Side Story ever open on Broadway? Did they, ever, did they open? Mm -hmm. And? Um, I heard it was very different. Okay. That doesn't mean good or bad. It just means different. But right. it, it, it only, and whatever tweaking they would have done wouldn't have been able to be done because they closed right away. Right. And then uh, Spielberg's movie is still on par for December 18th. 
this year. Ansel Elgort is playing Tony. Really? I didn't know. Oh, yeah, he sang in uh, the movie I hated. So No, oh, uh, Hail Caesar. I loved that. He sang in Hail Caesar a little bit. Well, apparently, he went to that fame high school, and he used to beat out Timothy Chalamet for all the musical parts. Good. Apparently. That's on record. So um, our friend Brian McKenna, do you know him, Ron? I know him. I don't know him personally, but I know who he is. I, he, he has 5,000 friends on Facebook. So a lot of people know him. I might be he one is, of them. <laughs> <laughs> he used to work with Carl on... Um, no, we never worked together. He worked with JC. Okay, he worked with JC. That's how I know him, from JC's morning show. And he is just a prince of a fellow. And uh, I had lost a touch with him, uh, except for social media. But now you and, live in his neighborhood. And yeah, now I'm in his hood. But three years ago, I was at uh, Easter Mass. And I turned around for the uh, for the uh, peace Side sign, yeah. And it was Brian McKenna. <laughs> so I reconnected with him, and so then I made sure because he's had a horrible fight with cancer for six years. It's he had been eye cancer. It's just you never been, hear of eye cancer. It's just been terrible, terrible <laughs> what he's gone through. They had to reconstruct his face and. He oh. went in for surgery and they botched it. And he's had so many surgeries, but he's still taking chemo pills. And uh, his friend, he um, uh, about a week ago, a friend bet him that he could not stay off. Oh, God, I gotta do that. He could not stay off social Facebook. media for seven for, days for a week. And so she got his password and everything. So his, there, these two friends of his, they got on Facebook and they said, this isn't Brian. We want to have this fundraiser for Brian because he's got these mounting medical bills. And, he's and, not right, working. and right before the quarantine, he was supposed to start a new job. Mm. And but then, they, did a, they, did a, they did a fundraiser for him a couple years ago. And with all the money, he gave that away to other charities. He didn't use any of it himself. He's big on uh, working with kids with cancer. He works a lot with all the local cancer groups. He's um, just, he's one of these guys that uh, he has a, he has a, um, uh, his mantra is your vibe attracts your tribe. And he does a lot on Facebook uh, spotlighting all these cancer patients. So what they wanted to do was they wanted to have a fundraiser for him. 2,500 people donated. I did. And so did I. And so did pretty much everybody that's ever known him. <laughs> that I mean, not everybody, but you know, it, I mean, 2,500 people donated. So they raised over $125,000 and they presented him with a check today. He, and they had a parade for him in yes, front of we his. Met at Bishop DeBerg High School at 12, we were supposed to meet at 1230 at Deberg. We, I live, I could walk there, but we got in our car and left at 1229 and the parking lot was already full. So we got in and got in line. It was supposed to, it was led by the uh, St. Louis Blues Gloria fire truck. And then that went first. And then we got there at 1229. We didn't leave the parking lot. There were so many cars and they had police escorts. We didn't leave till 115. 
I mean, well, I, they where, said it was going to be Facebook. Him there and he didn't, didn't know what he was going there for? No, no, no. Well, no it was in front of his house. He lives oh, okay. two doors down from St. Gabriel's. Okay. He, it's funny. It's, he's got a mannequin on his balcony, and then he's been writing, he's got this, uh, like a sandwich board, a chalkboard that he's been writing notes to people every day. As like love isn't wife. canceled, right. you know, hope isn't canceled. He uh, gets out there on his balcony and uh, he's right across from uh, St. Francis Park. Francis Park. He, his job in the earlier days in media, what Carl and I were talking about was he's a sportscaster. Sports guy. He, he was, was on, on he and Dan were on a show together. And they did a lot of, uh, 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 he's done a lot of radio, but you know, sports radio the way it is. So today, all these TV stations interviewed him. I got on Facebook Live at one because they said they were going to have the parade and there was nothing, but I was doing stuff, you know, getting ready for this and, and everything. And then I go back to the Facebook page and the parade's already started. So I it missed started. the- We left, we left DeBerg around five minutes to one and it ended, according to my wife, it ended at 2.20. So, well, it's going to be on Facebook, but I, all the TV stations are going to have it. But I heard him tell Frank Cusimano, he goes, I thought it was a graduation parade. Ah. He did not know it was Do for him. <laughs> yeah. And, and they gave him a microphone and he's out there with the mask and he's related to most everybody. And then oh. he's also, um, telling people like every car that came up he goes that's my nephew that's my and then he said this is my second grade my second grade girlfriend's daughter oh my gosh wow and that's me with brian right there there it is okay uh, and he's like it's carl the intern's family everybody <laughs> so and yeah he he was making sure that he said hi to every single person. Oh yeah. And he knew, he knew everybody and he would tell people who they were. Yeah. I just knew with everything today that I wasn't going to be able to do that, but. I but saw hopefully... people from channel two, channel four, channel five, channel 11 and Fox sports. They all covered it. Amazing. Yep. Wow. He's universally beloved. So what they're going to do now, these friends of his, they said, they're taking steps to make sure he can't give this money away. Right. Because <laughs> I think they started, they opened a trust, and so he won't be able to touch. He's got like 50 brothers and sisters. <laughs> really? Didn't know He's that. a McKenna. Yeah. Oh, and the Hibernians were there. Yeah. He, come he, into he the was fountain on Oprah. Yeah, I would see him at the fountain every now and then. Wasn't he working nearby or something? I, I, he I honestly don't know. It's probably pro? something charity. He was working for ServPro. I don't know what happened to that job, but you know he has a lot of uh, treatments and and everything. But yeah, he was just supposed to start a job. So hopefully, but yeah, he had a I think a nephew or a niece come and they go and he's expect and they're expecting. He goes that'll be number seventy eight. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? there are a but lot I of antennas in town. Yeah, I think he had a brother that was a police officer. Yeah, well, he he brought his mom on Oprah and didn't tell her. And yeah, he he, he wrote Oprah for raising yeah. all, all fifty kids. There's so, yeah, um, and so on his Facebook page, he has the picture of his mom on Oprah with Oprah and him and sitting there. But he he just faxed Oprah this letter. Yeah, and her staff contacted him. Wow. that was that was long time ago. That was like early nineties, probably. But no, there is I would say late nineties. 
but there's not a more deserving guy. And it's just really neat how people came out for it and how these people managed to do this. And uh, the outpouring was just unbelievable. So, All right, Lynn, we got to yeah, wrap it up. We got to wrap it up. And uh, thank you. Your vibe, your vibe does attract your tribe. So thanks, Ron, for coming on. <laughs> Ron, we and hope to be back in your studio one day. I look forward to it. I know. And thanks for having me on today. Of course. Thanks. And I'm looking forward to being back at the fountain. When when I was out last week for Mother's Day, you know, sitting on that patio distance, mm -hmm. it was like, this is, feels so weird. It's, you know, it just felt exactly. weird. But it's going to be nice to be back. I know. With Every time I see a photograph of a sporting event or a concert. <laughs> I look at all those people crammed together. And looking at it in the perspective of what we're going through right now, it just, it's amazing how human beings just have to cram together like that, how, how much they need that and like that. Well, you know? a year ago, we were all at hockey games, 19,000 yeah. people all together screaming as one, That's spitting right. on each other. That's right. So we, we you know you'll, we, we'll get back to that. This happens yeah, it's, every it's, what it is. It's just that you've got to do what's required to keep alive or yeah. carl as jerry uh, seinfeld said it is what it is it is what it is it is what it is and on that we'll see you next week happy happy week everybody and uh we'll see you memorial day weekend all right bye 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 bye, -bye.